This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. G-A-L-D-E-M G-A-L-D-E-M This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up With Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Nyella Arboyne, and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leah Johnson was born and raised in central Indiana, a tried-and-true lifelong Hoosier and author of award-winning books for children and young adults. Her best-selling debut YA novel, You Should See Me in a Crown, was a Stonewall honour book and named a Best Book of the Year by Amazon, Marie Claire, Publishers Weekly, and New York Public Library. Leah's essays and cultural criticism can be found in Teen Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and Cosmopolitan, among many others. When she's not writing or ranting about pop culture and politics on Twitter, Leah is a professor of creative writing and composition. Her sophomore novel, Rise to the Sun, tells a story about grief, 
love and the remarkable power of music to heal and connect us all and it's out now thank you so much for coming on the show leah firstly before anything i quickly wanted to ask what is a hoosier because in the uk that is a band from the noughties <laughs> is it that's so yeah. funny first of all i just want to say you have a tasty voice the minute you started oh, talking you. i said wait a minute what's going on here okay you know what that's a really great question and i'm pleased to announce that there is no answer we don't know what a hoosier is nobody knows there's like a hundred different origin stories for where the name comes from one of the stories is that oh like someone came to a man's house a cabin in southern indiana and and he called out who's here who's here and it sounded like hoosier <laughs> so we kept it and so i went to indiana university which is like the preeminent state university hoosier is our mascot and the actual mascot itself has changed so many times over the years because we can't quite figure out like what we're trying to do. Is it like, an animal? What is it? Yeah, sometimes it's a buffalo. Sometimes <laughs> it's just a man in a suit where his arms are like this and his head is an eye and his arms are a U. Like, we don't know. We don't know. We're trying to figure it out too. That's wow. incredible. I feel like I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the mainstream media has been silent on this and I have questions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the silence is deafening. The I, silence I is hear you. really deafening on that. Awesome. And then I guess like on a slightly more serious note, we had a quote from you that we loved, which was that you try to write into the empty spaces that you saw within like the YA landscape or sphere. And I guess I just wanted to ask, and I was curious, like growing up, what was your experience with literature like? Were there any people you looked up to? Were there any things that you thought were missing that you kind of envisioned as what could be your space in the landscape? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for context, when I started writing my first book, You Should See Me in a Crown, it was 2018. And earlier that year, there was a think tank who like does the numbers for what it looks like in traditional publishing every couple of years. And they had run this study that said over the three years prior to 2018, out of all the traditionally published YA novels, there were 20 that had a black girl as a main character. And out of those 20 books over three years, there was one that had a black queer girl as a main character. And that was in Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert, which went on to win the Stonewall Award. And so I, up until my adulthood, was looking out at a landscape of young adult fiction and was not seeing myself reflected, which, you know, as an adult is a little different because I have some I have some different positionality. But as a kid, when you look around and the only stories that you see are stories in which people have lives and experiences that are wildly unlike your own, it's hard to envision a blueprint for a future that is possible, right? Like if in fiction, when anything should be possible, yeah. I can't even see myself there. That's like how... Yeah. Like, what a mind meld that is, you know what I mean? More like dragon and representation. So, right, right, right. <laughs> black Dragons <laughs> had plenty of opportunities, okay? They were running it. But black queer girls, nah. So it was really strange to look around and realize that there was nothing speaking directly to me. And so the books that I read growing up were all white girl love stories. I loved Sarah Dessen growing up. I don't know if y'all was rocking with Sarah Dessen. But <laughs> she did. The, yeah, I'm checking. These are my childhood she did books. These, um, so I was like, I'm pretty sure I have her. Oh, there. yeah. Sorry. Carry on. Look, she's iconic. What can I say? She was running it for like 
18 years, she was like it. And to me, she was the gold standard for what YA romance was supposed to be, right? Because who else did I see, you know, doing it like her? And so I was like, well, I guess this is it, huh? Like white girls are the only ones who get to experience happy endings. They're the only ones who get to have these romantic summer love stories. And so the toll that that takes, whether you recognize it or not, as you're in the middle of it, the toll that that takes on your imagination, I think, can't be understated. And so when I had the chance to write books for a living, well, I wasn't making a living at the time, but when I had a chance to write books, uh, full stop, I knew that what I wanted to do was write back to the 16-year-old version of myself who had never seen a book with a main character like her. That's, yeah, so inspirational and so important. I wondered, have you had any, like, in the last few years, any reach outs or stories of people who have read your books, who've kind of seen themselves in in you? Do people hit you up and thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I'm most grateful for actually is how receptive the audience has been to these stories. I thought, you know, for sure there was no place for them and the landscape because I hadn't seen it really done before. And so every time I do a school visit and I have young people who like DM me because most of it is virtual now, DM me on the side and are like, Hey, I just wanted you to know, like, I came out to my parents after I read You Should See Me in Crown. I just want to really thank you. I appreciate it so much. Okay, bye. You know, like, that is, like, mm. the dream. Or, you know, I'll sit in a room with these kids, and one of them will be like, only the people in this room know that I'm queer. And I'm only telling you that because of this book. And I just, like, that... That's so powerful. Makes, yeah, like, that makes everything else feel worth it, you know? Like, there's nothing more affirming to me than that. Yeah, especially I think at that age, so much of, at least me, what I learned was through novels. It was through children's books. So now to have that kind of representation for children, I would have loved to have this book around as a child. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really fortunate that this is like a job. When I started it, I was like, you know, a couple people will buy the book and by a couple people, I mean, my mom will buy 12 copies and that'll be that. And you know, to see sort of the work expand and unfurl and end up in like different territories. Like I couldn't have even imagined that the book would be published outside of the U.S. when I wrote it. But to see it, you know, land in Brazil and the French edition just got published and the U.K. edition was published. Like it's been a real journey. Yeah, we were going to ask a bit. We touched on talking about schools and classrooms and we kind of love what you said about the dangers of teachers bringing a text into a class without being prepared to do the work. Is that something you've experienced yourself as either, you know, a student or as a professor? Oh, you all really did some research. That's a deep cut because I don't even, I don't even remember. She said, I do not recall. I, I do not recall. saying that, but you know what? <laughs> you know what? Me? <laughs> she was in her bag. I'll say that. Yeah, I think the story that I reference most often when I talk about teachers who are ill-equipped to actually talk about literature in the context that it should be talked about is when I was in 10th grade. I think I was in AP Lit or whatever you take when you're a 10th grader over here. And we were reading Huck's in, and I had been in school with this one kid my entire life. And we're reading the book. Never had no problem out of him. He was a little, you know, a little questionable, but I didn't say nothing about his cutoff t-shirts and his cowboy boots because, you know, you are who you are. But we started reading Huck Finn, and this man 
just started saying N-word this, N-word that. Everybody is an N-word. You're an N-word. N-words in the book. N-words everywhere. And he was just like going for it. And my teacher, oh my I was God. like, what? I'm the only black oh person gosh. in the room. And I'm like, you know, horrified, you know, mm. the Wilhelm scream, you know. And so I'm looking at my teacher. I'm like, ma'am, ma'am. Gonna gonna do <laughs> <it>. you, <laughs> you just going to let him rock like that? Right. And then, <laughs> and I remember my teacher was like, well, it's okay because it's a part of the literature. <laughs> it's and point. I was like, <laughs> I said, uh, him calling me the I'm in the book. <laughs> it's not part of the literature. Like, that was actually, like, I'm, like, totally separate oh from gosh. this. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's like that Nini, that Nini leaked, like, video. <laughs> I didn't even did nothing. I didn't even did nothing. And so, yeah, I just, I always remember that moment where, like, you know, in retrospect, I can laugh about it. But at the time, you know, you mm. feel so incredibly powerless because there's such a, there's such a unbalanced power dynamic between you and the person who's supposed to be guiding you through your education. And if you don't have the language to talk about, like, why this is hurtful, why this is harmful, your teacher is supposed to be able to supplement that and provide that. And in that moment, my teacher did not. And that never left me. And so, you know, in my classroom now, I try not to shy away from, you know, subjects that are scary or intimidating, but I also do the reading. You know, before I come in the room, I arm myself with the text and with the knowledge and with as much context as possible so that I don't leave any of my students feeling like I didn't see them or hear them or try to protect them. Like how many times have all of us walked into a classroom and been made to feel like we were the one in the wrong for trying to hold truth to power, right? And I never want my students to feel like I'm not on their side. And so I try to approach my work with that same uh, that same ethos, you know, like, as long as you're in the pages of this book, you're going to be cared for. If you are a Black girl who isn't seen or heard or held anywhere else in your life, at least within this book, I'm going to hold you down. I'm going to take care of you. And so, yeah, that all traces back to that 10th grade classroom where that guy called me the N-word and my teacher was like, can't do much. You know, Huck Finn yeah. said it. So it's, it's a little it's totally fine, isn't it? Yeah. God, that sucks. Yeah, what a nightmare. I guess let's get into the extract, which I'm looking forward to endlessly. Have you got that up and ready to read through? Yeah. And we were actually wondering as well, obviously it was written 10 years ago, almost 10 and a half. How old were you at the time of writing? Uh, for the for the listeners, sorry, I'm just going to describe. Uh, I was 16. <laughs> give, a, give a visual description of Leah's face literally in her palms, <laughs> looking quite distressed at the prospect of reading this out. <laughs> You were 16. That's okay. This is a safe space. You know, let me just, let me just say. It's a safe space. (laughs) Let me just say this, okay? You know, when my publicist was like, hey, can you send along X, Y, and Z thing? We're going to need it for the podcast. I was like, yeah, sure. I thought I was going to write a note to my 16-year-old self. And I was like, yeah, that ain't no problem. I could do that. And then she was like, uh, actually, no, we need you to pull something that you wrote <laughs> at 16. And I was like, I, I didn't, <laughs> you want to talk about somebody who did not understand the assignment. I did not understand the assignment. And so imagine my surprise when I had to go tracking this bad boy down. And this is like the least embarrassing thing I could have sent, which is actually like perhaps more embarrassing when you think about it like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I was 16. And I was a junior in high school. 
So I was in the second semester of my 11th grade year. All right. So for context, this is a 30-day challenge. If you recall the 30-day challenges we used to have on Facebook, every day they would like pose, you know, something, favorite thing, biggest fear, whatever. And you'd post a picture, you'd put it in a little album and you'd tag 30 people or whatever. Oh my God, it's the Wild West. Facebook was truly lawless. Anyway, so day one was a picture of yourself with 10 facts. The picture that I use is actually adorable. Uh, sorry, where was that? I, I don't remember seeing that in the email. <laughs> and like, <laughs> oh, maybe they cut that out. But that is me. I love it. <laughs> she's she's giving. She's really giving. I'm not gonna lie. Like, she's giving whimsical. She's you were, giving woodland yeah, creature. You were on it before salon. It's, it's, it's very cottage core. I can see that. Yeah, cottage core. Like I, I invented cottage core. Right. And so. <laughs> They don't know that. They don't know that. But yeah, anyway, so that's the picture. It's actually really lovely. Okay, so day one, a picture of yourself with 10 facts. One, I rarely take pictures by myself. And if I do, they're with my phone in a mirror. Unless Aisha does it as seen above. Aisha was one of my good friends at the time. Two, I come off a little strong sometimes and I'm working really hard to tone it down. My choir director has taught me that using a verbal filter is absolutely essential because if I say everything that hits me, people get hurt. And I sure don't want that. I was full of malarkey. I'm just like, <laughs> I do yeah, it again. I threw that girl in the trash can and I meant it. I do it again. <laughs> Man, what a monster. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. Okay, three. I want to be a journalist one day. The thought of knowing that something I say could potentially change a life or the world makes me want to do everything I can to obtain that goal. Four, music is how I connect to God the deepest, I think. Something about when words are set to melody makes them ring more true. Five, I would do anything for my little sister. She's always been there for me, no matter what I do, and I could never thank her enough for that. She's taught me more about life than anyone else, and the kid just reached junior high. I wasn't wrong. I was not wrong. My sister is a genius and also the funniest person alive. Six, I think about the past a lot. No specific aspect of the past more than others, just the past in general. Seven, I love acting childish, and I love the people who aren't afraid to be themselves. Two facts, one number. Then I skipped eight. I blocked eight out when I sent it. So we're just going to go to nine. Although I complain about it a lot, choir is probably one of the best things in my life. Yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, sometimes it's annoying. Yeah, sometimes the choir room is musty. But when it's all over, I walk out of that room with another life lesson every day. <laughs> Leah, did you like it or not? Because she named like 20 different things that she hated about it. Ten, I've never been in love, but I like the idea of it. You know that you could potentially care for someone more than your own self, or that when it's all said and done, somebody will be waiting up for you just to hear about your day. I've watched too many romance movies, huh? LOL. You did it. <laughs> Under great duress. Please let it be known. That was really cute. I'm really, you know, it felt like you never expected anyone to read this, which I really like. <laughs> it's very strange. The thing about the internet at any age, but especially, you know, in the mid to early aughts, was that, like, we were speaking into the void, sort of, but we knew that there was somebody on there the other there. end of it. 
Right, yeah. but there was this, like, confessional aspect to it that felt really earnest and perhaps, like, mortifyingly earnest now that I look back on it. But I think that really speaks to what it's like to be a teenager, you know? Like, everything feels super, super raw, and you want to be seen and you want to be heard, but also you want to hide constantly. And so I think, like, Live Journal, Tumblr, like, early Facebook, like, all of that was was giving exactly what teenagers needed, which is why it's so angsty. I was just going to say, other than feelings of, well, you did a lot of physical cringing as you were reading some of it. Other than those feelings, kind of, what else did it bring up reading that 10 years later? Yeah, I do want to double down on the cringing. Uh, that was incredibly cringeworthy. <laughs> you know, I got to say that some of the stuff that I said is still very much the case, you know? When I was 16, I knew what I wanted out of my life. And whether I knew what form that was gonna take, whether I knew how I was gonna arrive at that end, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to talk about love. I wanted to be in love wholly, fully for who I was. I wanted to tell stories. And at the time I thought I was gonna be a journalist, which I was for a while. And I loved, God and my family. Like, those things are, like, you know, very central to who I was. And, you know, I think God has changed face. Like, I don't think that the God that I necessarily worshipped when I was 16 is the same God I worship now. But I definitely think there's, like, a sort of love and Godhood for me in the work that I do, which is really, really affirming to see, you know, that I was very much interested in you know, doing work that had a greater moral good than just my own, you know, happiness, which was, which is nice. And that way, 16-year-old Leah wasn't too embarrassing. But man, she was a mess. What a mess that kid was. She had a good heart, but she was all over the place. Say more about that. In, in what ways? I was deeply, deeply insecure, which is like, surprise, surprise, a teenage girl is insecure. But... You know, I remember myself at 16 as being someone who was interested in making the first joke before somebody else could make a joke about me. Because I thought in my world that everybody could identify all the same problems with me that I was identifying. And so I was like, well, if I can't be the hottest person in the room, if I can't be the most popular person in the room, then I'm going to be the funniest person in the room. And so I was like voted class clown in high school. That was my senior superlative. And now that I look back, I'm like, I'm funny. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm funny. But I was funny for all the wrong reasons. And I wish that if I could go back and tell 16-year-old me anything, it's that everybody in this room that you think has everything together, they got all the answers, they know where they're headed next, they know what it's going to look like in 10 years with a with wife or a husband and two and a half kids and a white picket fence. Like, it seems like all these people are like, it. But nobody in here knows what they're doing. So you don't have to constantly, you know, tear yourself down in order to sort of circumvent them seeing your flaws. I have a lot of tenderness for 16-year-old me. I really do. Like, I, I think she was really embarrassing, uh, humiliating. But also, like, man, she really, really was trying. And she was failing a lot. Oh, there's something so beautiful about that, I think. And even just like you said, having those core principles that you can see that still 
feel real to you today? Like that's like five things that you were able to list that, you know, have been consistent since you were that young person. So I feel like even if she was kind of flailing and she was kind of in an environment where she was sensing or trying to preempt other people's like opinions of her, it seems like you've like, you at least were still staying true to yourself in, in other ways. I wanted to talk about the, I guess, I hope a part of you that I think will have changed since in the last 10 years, which was the second point where you talk about coming off a little too strong. And it like, it broke my heart a little bit when I read that. Because you're like, I'm working on toning it down, guys. Like, your complaints have been heard. With, like, feedback is with management. Stay <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. And I wanted right. to ask, I guess, like, right. do you remember, like, that time in your life? Do you feel like you have turned yourself down? Did you kind of outgrow that kind of uh, perspective on yourself? How did, how did that play out? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think one thing that was happening... And this started at like 14 probably and continued until I graduated from high school. But I had this terrible habit of, I guess you could say lashing out, but I wasn't like angry. I was lashing out in that I was like making jokes that were cruel. And so like if I could get more laughs from the people around me, then I was just going to keep doing it. And so like there was a certain element of like, oh, I need this validation. I need this affirmation from these people. And so like, even if it's at the expense of myself, if it's at the expense of this person who obviously doesn't deserve that, I'm just going to do it. And so I had a lot of fans, but I also had a lot of people who were like, yo, Leah, like, why are you like, why are you behaving this way? And one of those people was my choir director. I was in show choir And it was like a massive part of my life. It took up so much time. And it was like where most of my friends were. It was my social circle. It was like everything to me. And I was very good at show choir. Like I was a good singer, very good dancer. But I was not a good member of community. And my director was constantly like, Leah, I'm begging you to be better to the people around you. Like you can't just say whatever you think because it's harmful, not just to the person themselves, but it's harmful to morale. It's harmful to the way that we're able to like be here in this moment with Mm. each other. And that's the thing about like any group activity, group sport is like it relies on all of us trusting each other and nobody can trust you if you're always being cruel. Like whether it's cruel with a smile, whether it's cruel in a way that makes other people laugh, like, the cruelty was the point. And so, yeah, I think I had a real wake up call like my junior year. And he was like, Leah, yeah. I will kick you out of this group. Do you understand that? Like, I will literally remove you from this environment. And that was like a nightmare to me. I was like, there's nothing worse. There was nothing worse than the potential of getting kicked out of show choir when I was 16. And so I was like, duly noted. I heard you, big guy. I said, forget it. No more jokes out of me, cuz like you're not gonna hear nothing from me. I locked it up, shut it down, threw away the key. Wow. That was it. That's I think it's kind of wild you could see that at 16, because most 16 year olds would be like, you can go to hell. I don't care what you have to say. So the fact that you're like writing, like, okay, yeah, I actually did mess up and I was being a bit of a idiot and now I'm ready to change. Like that's kind of impressive for that age. You know what? Mm. I, I got to give it to 16-year-old Leah. She had a lot of self-awareness. I think even as I was doing it, I was able to identify, like, why I was behaving the way that I was behaving. And also, like, it should be noted that, like, I was raised in an aggressively 
religious household. And so like every day I'm going to church, I'm coming home and we're talking about the teachings of Jesus Christ. We're talking about how, you know, it's our job to be good to the folks around us, to reach our hands out to the least of these, to, you know, be honorable. And I just was not living up to that standard. And so I think I knew all along and I felt a certain level of guilt for not being the person that my family would have been proud of. And so when I got called into question, I was like, you know what? Hey, hey, all right, okay, say no more. I got it. I was going to ask that, actually, like, whether it felt like you kind of took on that persona specifically within groups of friends, or was it like a thing that even in your family household or, you know, with strangers or whatever, did you take on that same role? Um, No, no. Yeah, that was mostly, that was no. outside of the house. Because my mom had a really, and she still does this yeah. sometimes. She used to say, like, you need to save all that attitude for the people at school. You need to save all that attitude for the people who make you feel bad about yourself. Don't oh bring God, that up so in this house did. with the people that love you. I've heard that so many times. And yeah. that was like, yeah. And that was like, okay. Once again, duly noted. Uh, I won't mm. be bringing that fever home to my little sister, who like you know, like she loved me so much and like looked up to me, and so it was like easy to you know turn my ire on her mm. when I felt bad about myself. And my mom shut that down so quick. And you know what? I'm really grateful that she took me to task with a belt. Not going to lie. At 16. How demoralizing. But, you know, I was like, I hear you. I hear you. I won't be doing that again. Once again, it takes one good time to get Leah Johnson on track. And she's back at it. Yeah, because you were just talking about your sister. It's really clear from that extract that you were really protective of her and have a deep love for her. And then later on, you also say, I've never been in love and... I don't know what it's like to care for someone potentially more than yourself. And I found that quite interesting because, like, you clearly do. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the thing. At the time, I was really, really invested in this idea of romantic love as the end-all, be-all. And I think, obviously, that has a lot to do with what I was reading. It had a lot to do with the way that romantic love is prioritized in a lot of our media. But in retrospect... I can see very clearly that like my principal goal always my entire life has been to protect my little sister and you know to whatever extent she could she's always protected me in return and so like yeah I think when I talk about now love stories when I talk about like what it means to be in love I'm thinking about the group chats that taught me to be a better communicator I'm thinking about the the friend who pulled me aside and said, Leah, I don't need you to give me a solution. I just need you to hear me. I think about my little sister who has taught me how to love people unconditionally and wholly. Like that's the kind of love that I want to channel into all the books that I write because that is the love that has taught me how to be a better person, not necessarily the love that I got when I was like occasionally making out with the person. I really like what you said about your friend teaching you the difference between a solution and just being there for you. I feel like that's one of the biggest life lessons I've learned and I only learned that a few years ago. So yeah, I see what you mean about (laughs) different kinds of love and that can kind of inform everything in your life beyond just romantic love. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, it's not to get too, like, pie in the sky about, you know, the duties of writing for children and young adults. But I do think that one of the things books provide us is a blueprint for a life that is possible. And so if I have an opportunity to lay out a blueprint for young Black women, then the blueprint that I want them to walk is like, oh, it's okay for me to love myself, even though the world has told me that these things that I have are things that I should be ashamed of. Oh, it's okay if I love my best friend so much, sometimes it feels suffocating. Like that's an okay type of love. Like you can invest that much in a friendship. It's okay that sometimes I mess up, like I'm still worthy of happiness in the end. I think that like those are lessons that took me a long time to learn. And I'm still learning in a lot of ways, but the kind of lessons that I want to sort of channel into my romances. Amazing. And just circling back to that kind of love where you are making out with people. Obviously, yeah. your last point is you saying, you know, I have never been in love and how much you want to and you you watch these movies and you can see that that's kind of inspired like how you've shaped yourself as a person, not the devotion to romance, but just that like 
want to uplift and care as we've covered before. And then I guess I wondered like in between this Facebook status and here today, what was that experience like for you navigating the world as almost like a hopeful romantic? Has that been easy? Has it been tough? Has that been, yeah, what kind of lessons have you learned on that journey? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I'll tell you this. Let's take it back to 2011. And, you know, just to get a snapshot of where Leah Johnson was at, right? Okay, so I'm dating this guy on and off inconsistently. And he's like Mr. Nice Guy. Everybody loves this guy. He's like Mr. Funny Guy. He's Mr. Athlete. Everybody is a big fan of this guy. And I liked him too. When we were friends, I was like, yeah, this is great. He's the best guy ever. And then we started like hanging out. And then he started like, you know, I don't want to use the word projecting, but he definitely was like, oh, we're going to be together. Duh, doy, forever. Uh, yeah, you're the one that I'm going to marry. Uh, yeah, we're going to settle down together. And like, it was just very clear that like, he was serious about it. But this is the thing. Where I'm from, it's not an unusual thing to be 16 and be like, okay, in four years, we're going to get married. You yeah. know what I mean? Like people really start building, you know, family making pretty early out here. And so I was like, okay, I mean, <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> like, I guess I'm just in this. And so, you know, like we worked together on the newspaper and we were like, we went to prom together and we were just like in it. We ended up going to the same college for undergrad. And I was like, well, I guess this is end game. But I, I didn't understand why I felt terrified. You know, like I felt constantly scared and a little bit sick at the prospect of like being someone's wife. But I was always like, this is what I'm supposed to do. These are the steps. This is how this plays out. You marry somebody you met in high school. That person is always going to be the opposite sex. You're going to have some kids. You're going to live and work in central Indiana for the rest of your life. Like this was it. And I felt really beholden to that path because I had been indoctrinated with this idea of like romantic love being the love that, you know, trumps all. And also like romantic love as it manifests itself in the traditional nuclear family. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of ways, being a hopeless romantic sort of limited me. Like I thought that like that was what romance had to be. And so it wasn't until I like, we broke up, I moved to New York, I went to grad school, I came out, that I was able to experience love and romance in its wholeness and its fullness you know, love that didn't feel like an obligation, but felt like a an opportunity. Love that didn't feel like terrifying, but felt wondrous. You know what I'm saying? Like it was really, really beautiful to me. And I think I got to be honest, like queerness gave that to me, like coming yeah. out gave me the affirmation that like, oh my gosh, like you weren't wrong to be a hopeless romantic. You were just doing it wrong before. That's so interesting. I think there's a lot in there about like, how you can kind of think oh yeah I just love love and I'm watching all these things but like in a way it's prescribing something to you and saying like and it should look like yeah. this and it should happen like this and once you kind of get rid of that you're able to see the full spectrum of how you can enjoy love and how you can love those around you but yeah that's yeah. super interesting I was just gonna say just how you had those steps in place and you were still like this isn't right even though those were 
the starting blocks of yeah. what we all deem as romance. And I'm going to just blame Twilight for the reason that romance was yes. ruined for me. You know what? Thank you. <laughs> Let's start there. Let's begin there. One you know, step. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, there's this thing too where it's like, you know, technically this guy was hitting all the beats. You know, he was hitting his marks. He was getting me the Valentine's Day gifts and he was showing up with the grand gestures for my birthday. And he was like, you know... Mr. Nice Guy is going to open the door for you when you go out on a date. Like, he he was doing it. He was doing it. But, like, it wasn't happening. Yeah. But because I was taught, like, if somebody does these things, then you're supposed to love them. Like, if somebody loves you, you're supposed to love them back. Like, that's the, like, that's the trade-off. They buy you some flowers, you pop out two and a half kids. Duh. Like, it's called it, good manners. Yeah. It felt <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right. And I think, like... What has to happen and what I see happening more in our literature and our pop culture and our films is that we are varying the image of what it means to have someone love you and what it means to be deeply entrenched in a romantic love. And so I'm excited. I'm glad 16 year olds don't have to grow up thinking like, well, you know, the script has already been written. I'm sort of just like showing up on audition day. So this is just how it's going to go. Yeah. And there's definitely like a level to which it takes a strong character to not be afraid of saying, no, actually, like, this isn't it for me. Or I'm not quite feeling it. Or this mm-hmm. isn't what I would, thought it would be like. Or maybe there's something else out there. I think, especially if you get into that situation. I grew up, I wasn't in that situation. Let's just put it that way. So I was kind of like, there must be something else out there. But if you're in it and someone's telling you, like, let's be together forever, <laughs> to be like, oh, no thanks, is, like, probably, like, a really, <laughs> really big move to actually make. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I think about the scene, and if I think of my life as a coming-of-age movie, I think about the breakup scene where I'm sitting with this guy in this fast, casual family restaurant and there's a basket of rolls on the table between us. And he's fed up. We've been at this for so many years. He's like, it's time for you to get serious. And I'm sitting there, tears. And I'm just like, this isn't the life that I want. And cue song by the killers in the background. Leah stands up. It's raining. She walks out of the restaurant and walks into the rest of her life. Uh, like, I, that is like, that's the scene. And it really did feel sickening at the time because I was so sure. I was like, well, I'm never going to fall in love again. Like, nobody's ever going to love me again after this. Because everything feels like the end of the world when you're young. That age, yeah. And so, yeah, it was tough. But also, like, I think we don't give uh, young women, but particularly black women, the tools to say no, to tell people, like, hey, this isn't working for me. The conditions of this are untenable and I refuse to be beholden to it anymore because like we project so much onto black girls like, oh, you're the angry mm. black woman. Oh, you're the Sapphire. Oh, you're the Jezebel. Mm. Like there's so many different identities and tropes that are projected yeah. onto us that like for a lot of us, you know, we're afraid to inhabit. And so it's like, well, I guess I got to do this thing in order to not mm. be branded. You know, or like XYZ. you should be grateful Aren't you lucky? Scary. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially when we live in a world that, like, yeah. tells black women 
who have the Negro nose and Jackson 5 nostrils that um, (laughs) we're undesirable or, you know, we're lucky that anybody wants to be with us. Like, I, are you kidding me? Are you, are, are you serious? Are you mad? Like I had to really figure something out along the way. Like, wow, actually I am the prize. This is a gift yeah. to be with me, not the other way around. Wow. It's hard Imagine to set that. those boundaries at that age as well. But I also feel like this, at least for me, is a lot of like queer girls origin stories. <laughs> you have the perfect yeah. boyfriend and you're like, this is still not enough. <laughs> Right. What isn't clicking? (laughs) Right. Something's not clicking here. It was really astounding to me. Like when I moved away and I came out and I was like, I was like for real dating for the first time. And I was like, oh, so y'all was living like this. Wow. Wow. You were talking about a lawless wasteland. I was wilding. But you know what? <laughs> I needed to. I needed to. She had to figure it out. Yeah, I guess off the back of that, I'd love to know a bit more about your journey on coming out. And even when you read your extract, you talked a bit about your faith and how your God has changed in that time. I'd love to know more about, I guess, how those two parts of yourself intersect, what that looks like for you now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a complicated journey, right? Like when you're taught that there's no greater thing to fear than being condemned to hell. And then you're also being taught everything about you is condemning you to hell. Like no matter how hard you work to not be this thing, you're definitely going to hell. And so like, I thought for a long time that these are warring sides of my identity. Like I could not be someone who is a follower or a believer and also be someone who is out and queer. Like it just felt incongruent to me. And at one point in my early 20s, I just could not continue to feel as though I was being like torn in two separate directions. And so I was like, well, if this is what it's going to be, this is what it's going to be. And I came out to my mom and I was like, I'm sorry. I am so sorry that I can't be the daughter that I'm sure you thought I was. And I can't be the the child of God that you raised me to be like, I just can't do it. And it was my mom's response to that, that I think was so life-giving. And she was like, there is nothing you could do that would make me love you any less. There is nothing you could do that would make you any less my daughter. And it was that knowledge that like my mom, who is so devout, who is such a believer, who has always been the standard by which I set, you know, everything in my life, If she could love me anyway, then couldn't this God who is all knowing and all powerful, couldn't he also find it in his heart to love somebody like me? And so after that, it was like, you know, I've read a lot of YA novels and I was like maybe 23 at the time. And I was just reading a ton of like queer YA trying to develop a language for queerness that like felt validating and felt honest to me and so I read The God Box by Alex Sanchez which was like old like at the time that I read it it was like already 20 years old I think and I was just like sobbing I was like in Union Square just like crying my eyes out reading this book about the 16 year old boy who wants to be a pastor and is gay and I was like wow how powerful it is to like experience this first at the same time as like this 16 year old kid in this book and so you know, it was YA that gave 
all those parts of me back to me. It was why that like taught me that, oh, it's possible to navigate all these identities at once without feeling ashamed. I think that's such a beautiful sentiment and kind of links all the way back to how we started this conversation, which was, you know, like how important and crucial it is to see yourself represented in any kind of situation that you can relate to. And so what you're doing to create more black queer love stories in that space is only going to help children for generations to come you know that's amazing and we just have a couple final questions one of which you answered earlier but I wonder if you want to add to it and the first one is what advice would you give to your younger self who wrote this Facebook status if you could take it easy on yourself kid like relax Mm -hmm. bro like you're on edge all the time everything feels like the end of the world oh I didn't get 25 on my ACTs. Oh, I didn't get into Northwestern. Oh, this guy is ignoring me. Like, it's not all the end of the world, babe. Like, this is fine. This is all going to work out a-okay. And there's going to be a day where you're going to write books for a living. You're going to sit in your room and you're going to write your little gay love stories and it's going to change your entire life. So like, You don't need an A in AP stats in order to make that happen, okay? You don't need to get married to this guy. In fact, if you did get married to him, you wouldn't be here. You don't need to get married to some guy in order to guarantee the life of your dreams. You're going to get it anyway. So just relax. Just take a nap. You know, like, just, I don't know. Also, you have ADHD. You're bad (laughs) at math because you have ADHD. (laughs) And you need to go talk to a doctor. (laughs) Right, go see a doctor, get a therapist. Like there is help. There is help. (laughs) You're like, relax, but also you can't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like I know I know why you're on edge. It's actually because you have ADHD. So honestly, I feel like this is the year we all found out we had ADHD. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, my goodness. So y'all, once again, y'all just out here living like this. Like, who knew that there were like solutions for learning disabilities? I had no idea. It took a long time. Took a couple decades, but here I am. And yeah, I would also like to ask, what would your younger self think about where you are now? I think if you put me in front of me at 16 and said, this is where you're headed, I think I probably would have been like, mom, there's a stranger in the house. Like, I don't think I would have been like, oh my God, how, what? I don't, I would never have imagined that the life that I have built for myself now, the community that I have built for myself now, the multiple families that I have now, I never would have imagined that I would be a part of any of that. But I think after 16 year old me got over the initial shock of the fact that like, hey sis, we're queer. I think she'd be really, really stoked that I get to like write books. And that's like just my job. I write books and I teach kids. What? That's crazy. But it's, it's real. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Like, that was amazing. That last bit, there's a stranger in the house. That is like, that's a good way of looking at it. I think I'd be a stranger to my younger self. She would not recognize. (laughs) (laughs) Six-year-old me would cry, maybe. (laughs) And I think also I would be shocked at the fact that I'm still wearing graphic tees. Like, I... (laughs) Like, I would show up wearing this. Me too, with (laughs) dungarees. Yes, yes, I would show up wearing this, and 16-year-old me would be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You're almost (laughs) done. You never... (laughs) 
You never evolved past the graphic team? No, I didn't, sis. No, I didn't. And in fact, they just got cooler. <laughs> and the jeans got bigger. <laughs> but I buy them for myself now. So right, but I buy them for myself what, with my money yeah, that I exactly. make from writing books. So suck on that. I love this fighting with your younger self. <laughs> she was feels she was so feels, antagonistic. Feels right. She was antagonistic. So I already know like she would have tried to fight me, actually. I'm just preparing. Oh my god. So good. So good. But this was really, really fun, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, oh thank you. No, thank you. I was so pleasantly surprised by Leah. Like, she just wasn't anything I was expecting her to be. I kind of, I have this impression of, and I think we've had an experience of, like, a more reserved and, like, I don't know how to describe her energy versus what I thought, like, authors are like. But yeah, she was awesome. She was so cool. We definitely, I feel like we went in with expectations of like serious author and she was actually just really jokes and like super bubbly and like honest. We thought that reading her extract when she was saying, you know, I've got to learn to, learn to tone myself down a bit. All these things we thought was like about like silencing black women, but actually she was just <laughs> being trash as a teenager and to be a better person, which I thought was... Yeah, hilarious. I, I found that really interesting, I think, just to like hear someone be, to be critical of their self or their former self in such a like aware way and just be able to say like, I wasn't a good member of community. Like, so I changed that about myself. And here's why I did it in the first place. Like, here was my reasoning, but like that still wasn't good enough. And I had to like grow and become a better person. So I found that super inspirational mm. and it kind of made me go away and like think about like, I don't know, what was I like as a teenager? And like, not just what was done wrong to me, yeah. but also like, what were my shortcomings? And have I actually changed? It's so true. I feel like you're so insular as a teenager and you think the world just like revolves around you. But yeah, she put it in a way. Yeah, she, I don't know, I felt like she was just really introspective for, was she 16 when she wrote that? It made me want to also go back and find all my old Facebook statuses, which is quite sad because I've been hacked. So I don't have access to my account. So Facebook, if you're listening. I oh, really <laughs> let me back into my account because I've got some that jewels in there. I'm sure I never did any of those challenges. I just couldn't commit myself to it. But I'm sure there are some absolute gems if you were to look back at my, <laughs> my Facebook statuses. Yeah, I think I've intentionally forgotten them all. <laughs> this has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at galdemzine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. Don't forget, if you loved this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.